With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to World Cup Daily. I am not Dave, he is, well... Probably broke his telly because England won or something like that. Let's go with that. Um, yeah, we're here for the daily update and decided to have about eight games to talk about. So, Carl, how are you doing quickly before we have to rush through everything? <laughs> it's very early. I've got a massive, massive cup of tea. It's bigger than some people's heads. So I'm set for the day. How are you enjoying the World Cup so far? Because this is your first appearance on the Daily Pod. Boring. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that noise sums it up, doesn't it? Yeah. It's been, in terms it's been... of in terms of interest, enjoyment, and quite frankly, weirdness. Yeah. Because how was the six-two boring? <laughs> it was like, I was watching. I was like, I thought it's nothing's happened here apart from Iran can't defend, and Senegal Netherlands for the most part was a travesty of a game. But yeah, we'll get into that. Um, hopefully. With the South American teams coming in, that aren't Ecuador <laughs> improves a bit. Um, but we'll start with the England game, Carl. I mean, I think most people probably expected Iran to be a bit tougher to be. Definitely. I thought they were a shambles. They're, they're normally a lot more organised than that. Um, we saw some aspects of what Iran usually are in terms of they were really, really aggressive off the ball. You saw after like England went 2-0 up, they were committing a load of snidey fouls. There was lots of stoppages in play as often as they could. That is more what I expected from Iran right from the start. They're normally really well drilled, uh, good alignment between the uh, the back five, very, very compact between the five and the four in midfield as well. But we didn't really see any of that. They weren't really as in your face and all on top of you know balls into the box and deliveries behind and all the rest of it. Part of that, I have to say, is probably down to, uh, I thought the movement of like Saka was really good off the right-hand side and... Some of the time Mount, but quite a bit more of the time Bellingham as well. The movement was quite good. Uh, so a bit of credit to England for that. But yeah, Iran were way below the level I would have expected. Not helped by the fact that obviously they lost the goalkeeper early on. We'll get to that. And uh, the guy who came on, I, I confess I don't think I've ever seen him play football. And I confess I don't think if I ever see him play football again, I will really have any better memories of him anyway, because that was a terrible performance. At least he wasn't as bad as the Qatari one. Um, that's the plus for him. But but you mentioned it there, the head injuries. Obviously, there was two in this game. Uh, Maguire got 
blurred. I was actually trying to get the dog out of the garden whilst this was happening, so you may have to walk me through this, but he got blurred vision. Did he get a bang on the head, or was he feeling ill or something? Yeah, it seemed to be uh, he felt ill. Uh, right. It, it seemed at the time that it was a some sort of head injury, but it wasn't. You know, he was getting the concussion you know, attention from the physio and Correct. stuff. But, so that's, yeah, so I think that's why everybody thought it was. But no, afterwards they said he, he felt ill and there was dizziness and blurred vision and that sort of thing. So um, hopefully no no lingering issues there for him. And maybe it was just, you know, the fact that A, he hadn't directly made an error towards a goal up until that's, that uh, goal that happened right before he went off. And maybe secondly, the fact that he played 60 minutes for that the first time in two years. Yeah, that's very true. That is very true. But the, the more serious one, obviously, was the Iranian goalkeeper who clashed heads with his own defender. Uh, clearly looked like he broke his nose as well, but I think one of the commentators said he got a bash on the nose. Like, mate, he literally just got his head smashed into. Yeah. It's not the nose that's the worry here. But he, he, it was a good 10 minutes. I think it ended up with 14 minutes added time which sums up how serious it was. But when will it, when will, I was going to say England now, when will football take head injuries serious? Um, I presume when somebody's head falls off, like literally comes off during the game, and then they might say, okay, we need to do something about this. It, oh, come on, it was an absolute shambles. He, he could barely sit up uh, to begin with. He was obviously ha- having quite a bit of trouble uh, with the, you know, focusing with what they were trying to tell him to do. I'm not sure what his captain was there. Um, Shafi was like alongside him. I'm not sure if that was a come on, we need you kind of thing, or if it was more of a are you okay? I, I hope the latter. Certainly, when he was about to resume playing, it looked like the former. These things, I've said it before, I think there should be a completely impartial. I mean, there are FIFA doctors at these games. It should be that person who comes on for head injuries, maybe, and uh, does his investigation, goes through the protocol that they have, and then makes that decision. Nothing to do with the teams, nothing to do with the players. We've seen it so many times now where they say, I'm all right to carry on. And then about two minutes later, actually, I'm not, am I? And everyone can see it beforehand. So the doctors surely must be able to. They're a lot more informed than we are. Um, it, it was a shambles. It really was. It really was. And yeah, I agree. It needs to be, um, there needs to be a temporary substitution. I think Alan Shearer was talking about that um, during the halftime break. So you can fully assess people, and if they need to, and if they can come back on, you let them come back on. But do African rugby, you get ten or fifteen minutes to actually assess them, and then they can come back on. And something like that needs to happen. But in terms of the football, I mean, England. I mentioned it was kind of boring for a six-two. Um, England scoring six. I mean, I think it was only off like two something xg, which obviously a bit of an over over performance in terms of goals. But I mean. Was playing Saka over Thornton's quite a big call. I think you and Dave obviously mentioned this on the and the when the team was leaked uh, yesterday, but quite an attacking team, uh, quite good in front of goal. Maybe a tad sloppy at the back, but when you're winning comfortably, I think that comes into it as well. But quite, I thought it was quite a positive performance and not not well. It was a bit dull, but I think it was more just a gap in skill more than the game itself. Yeah, it was a little bit slow and one pace to begin with, but you know England stepped up at the moments that they needed to, and I think that was there were certainly a few good passages of play which were really, really good, like Premier League, Champions League level. You know, the, the goal for Sterling, for example, was a very, very nice 
exchange of passes, good movement off the ball, third man run, really nice cross. Everything about that was very, very high quality. And I don't think too, too many teams would have defended that very well, for example. Um, I mean, I, I had a bit of a conversation with this last night walking home. I wonder whether, for people who do want to watch the England game and want to be, you know, excited about the World Cup and stuff, is it maybe because England have played so early and usually we have like a couple of big teams first and maybe, you know, not a Belgium, we've already gone over Belgium playing late in every World Cup that's enshrined in FIFA, (laughs) but like a Spain or a Argentina, Brazil, they might be on a bit earlier than England and maybe they have their results and maybe one or two of them struggle and then England come out and we sort of compare how England do to those nations rather than England versus England previously sort of thing. So this one was a little bit fine. But actually, if Brazil have played and drew and Argentina only won 1-0 and Spain drew and then England win 6-2, do, do people get a bit more excited about that? Even though it's the exact same game, I wonder whether that's a little bit of the case as well. To be fair, if, the, if this happened after the Netherlands game, for the most part, it probably would have been like, well, yeah. <laughs> Although Senegal are probably better than Iran. But no, I think that's a good point, actually. Um, any names that stuck out? I mean, Saka, I think he's always performed well for England, but this might be the tournament where, I don't know, where this probably grabs a position for the England team by himself, because I think in the Euros, he kind of grew into the tournament, didn't he? Because he started with Ford and Grealish, etc. Whereas this, he's obviously got the starting berth. And, well, he grabbed it with both hands. And I think he can make that right side his own for the probably the decade to come, unless someone else pops up. Yeah, um, obviously, there's going to be an element of formation changes and all the rest of it. And I guess there will be a bit of rotation. You'd expect Foden to have a really good moment at some point as well. But group stage, I think Saka's locked it down for sure. Because I, yeah. I, I guess England will stick with this system now unless there are rotations for the final game if they're already through that kind of thing um so i think there's a good good chance that he could be one of the very big performers i think Bellingham was sensational as well to be honest he was mm-hmm. probably the one driving things forward and lifting the tempo a bit more probably the one who did uh the best combination of attacking and defensive work as well so that was a very very complete all-round performance absolutely we'll move on to the other games because we do have 200 to get through um mm. senegal netherlands Right. Bit crap. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much. I, I, I'm honestly going to sum this game up how I felt about it in about three sentences. Um, first of all, I was not overly enthralled by the Netherlands lineup. Uh, there are a couple of very questionable picks there. I think Berghaus playing centre mid is okay, but probably I'd have him in a three rather than just as a two, and then you're lacking a little bit of invention there, even if the young was allowed to get forward. Janssen up front, no, don't ever want to see that again, that sort of thing. Senegal were lined up pretty much as they could be. The game was pretty dull. Uh, I think Senegal probably had to take a bit more risk because they were in the game more than I expected them to be. But exactly as I expected it to be from them, when they did get forward, they really, really struggled to create anything of note. Any really clear chances were so hard to come by because obviously Mane's not there, Kate Balde's not there, and then you're relying on the runs forward from either Papi Mendy or Idrissa Ganagé. I would say neither of those two players are particularly noted for their uh, incisive passing or goal-scoring <laughs> finishing ability. And honestly, every chance fell to them, other than I think one for Dia, which he took on the turn. Everything else went to them. It was... They they have issues to fix before the next couple of games. And obviously, the very, very late stages in the game, I'm not going to say Netherlands won. I'm going to say Edouard Mendy lost the game for Senegal there. That was rubbish goalkeeping all that. 
his drop. I know he's kind of been made second choice at Chelsea, but good lord, he has forgot how to goalkeeper. Uh, and speaking of goalkeepers, we got LVG goalkeeper rule left by bringing in Knoppert, who nobody's ever oh. heard of. Fantastic stuff. Absolutely sensational pick. A nice one. Beautiful. Love it. Uh, but we will move on to the USA-Wales. Um, I think Wales learned a lesson. Never drop Kiefer Moore against foreign teams. Mm-hmm. They do not know how to handle seven-foot-tall big people. No, it, I mean, it, look, Kiefer Moore was a big part, obviously, and in terms of his hold-up and link play was really good. But the biggest thing here was Wales actually playing football. I mean, they were so deep and so negative and nobody in midfield did anything whatsoever in the first half. It was pretty poor. But when they did try to move upfield as a team second half, we saw that they could play. They could match USA in terms of energy and uh, athleticism for the most part and some really good combination play. Not creating a whole lot, but that's okay. You don't really expect Wales to be too free-flowing or too overly adventurous or anything. As long as they keep several of those key players fit and there were quite a lot of knocks last night. Um, but, you know, the wing-backs obviously bail through the middle. Kiefer Moore, I assume, has never been injured in his life because like, he looks like he's just carved out of granite, doesn't he? So as long as a few Absolutely. of those key players stay fit, Wales now know how they have to play. Yeah, and I think they play... Who do they play next? They're against Iran next and we have USA. Ah, so yes, they around me there. That's probably the key game of the tournament. Yeah. Um, but we'll move on to today's games. I mean, well, actually, no, USA. I thought the first half, obviously, they were the better team. They were probably better than I thought, considering they came third and struggled through qualifying. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, they, they played better. I think, again, though, it comes back to Wales. Wales were so deep and negative, they allowed USA to have all of the ball, and that allowed USA to obviously start getting themselves into the game. But then again, you saw second half when Wales were coming at them. USA shape, not always great. The midfield was very, very easily bypassed. I had to make a couple of changes in terms of uh, the system when they started bringing on uh, Brendan Aronson. Uh, played right up front, obviously, as a, a much more of a target man, let's say, and then didn't hit him once. Um, I, I said this before the game, Rob Page, much, much better at in-game changes than Greg Berhalter. I think that was absolutely the case last night on a one-off basis. Uh, I don't really think Bahalta did anything to change the flow of the game second half, and maybe USA not really going for the throat there when they had such dominance in the first half may well come back to be what knocks them out. Yeah, yeah, it was a bit strange. I never seemed to press on when they were playing so well in the first half. Um, and not playing like Gio Reyna and stuff. I've never really seen Gio Reyna because he's injured all the time, but it was a bit of a surprise. He seems like the big white hope after Pulisic. Um, but anywho, we'll move on to today's games because there is four to get through. Uh, basically, by the time this podcast is out, we'll have the team news and stuff for Argentina, Saudi Arabia. I mean, surely this is just an Argentina cakewalk, surely? Uh, I, I assume this has to be the game where either Lautaro Martinez or Lionel Messi goes for the golden ball. Um, Saudi Arabia, not that bad, obviously, in terms of the, the Iranian qualification system and all the rest of it. But I have a look at the teams who have played so far from the Asian section. Obviously, it's not a, a perfect matchup because you know, people react to being in the World Cup in different ways. Maybe there's been injuries, blah, blah, blah. But in general, broad scope terms, Saudi Arabia not going to be the best that we get to see from uh, from the Asian section. And Argentina will be amongst the best of the overall nation. So I would accept this, expect this to be a complete procession. Really, the things to look out for from an Argentina perspective, who lines up in midfield, I assume they will go with more or less the diamond and 
sort of an imperfect two up front, sort of one in the channels, one through the middle, but they have a lot of variation there. They might go with a, a flatter 4-4-2 and play two tens effectively. Um, maybe McAllister will start, I assume Leandro Paredes will do as well, and who partners up Otamendi at centre-back. They're the interesting things to look for there. But it should be a, a really, really routine win, you would imagine. Yeah, you'd think so. So that kicks off at 10 o'clock, people. So probably 15 minutes as this podcast is released. Uh, just rush about to go see it. Um, then at 1 o'clock, we have Denmark, Tunisia. Um, yeah, Denmark. I just Denmark. They've been the same team for about 15 years now. Um, and I know nothing of Tunisia. No, I don't really know much about the Tunisia squad either, to be fair. So... It's a game I'm looking forward to see just because of that that aspect of it. I mean, from from Denmark perspective, we know exactly how they will play in terms of their uh, approach, their build up play. Very very adventurous fullbacks. Jochen Meiler, for example, is a big part of their build up play. The only question is really is if they stick three four three or go back to four three three because they have gone sort of between the two in uh, Nations League and the Danish newspapers say that it will be four three three. So be interesting to see from that regard how they put Ericsson back in, if it'd be a number eight, if it'd be a little bit more further forward, if they really start dominating play and being as number 10. And just one or two individuals like Damsgaard obviously has been a big part for them since the Euros, but has hardly played this season. So does that cost him? Do they bring someone else into the team? Uh, and so on and so forth. For Tunisia, I've been trying to pick out a couple of people just, just to watch for in terms of who might be particularly important or notable for them. <sighs> Wabi Kazri. Sorry? Is Wabi Kazri Tunisian? I think he is. Yeah. Yeah, he is. I mean, he's been there for, you know, 750 years as part of the national team setup now, isn't it? But, I mean, Hannibal Medbury, if he starts, obviously, very exciting player mm. who uh, is at Manchester United, just trying to pick out a couple of people who, who might be known to, uh, to our listeners. Dylan Bront, maybe, have heard of. He plays in Italy for Salantana. Um, there's a couple of players based around France. Wabi Kazri is obviously one of those. Wabi Kazri is only 31 years old. How is that possible? No. No, nah, surely he played in the 98 World Cup. Not having that. Um, cool. Yeah, who else we got? Andy Spence-Lamani we, we spoke about uh, in the World Cup preview podcast. I don't expect he's going to be a starter, but he's a, quite an exciting young player who plays in uh, Denmark. Has a, a little bit of a habit of falling out with people, but does have talent, let's put it that way. So there's one or two players who could make an impact there. If Tunisia are really well organised and put together you know, in a very good fashion in terms of their build-up play and that, maybe this is a game they look at as really causing an upset because if Denmark obviously start a little bit undercooked or anything like that, if they have got some of the players who have not been full of first-team action recently, it might be, you know, Daniel Maas is playing at full-back, Simon Kier has not been too regular for Milan because of injuries, Christensen at Barcelona has been injured, that sort of thing. Schmeichel in goal, we've, we've spoken about, has been in really bad form, so Maybe, maybe this is one of the games we could look at for an upset, but I don't want to suggest too much because, as I say, I've not seen Tunisia play. Absolutely. Just a bit of wabby Kazri magic is all we ask. Um, exactly. Moving on to four o'clock, probably the game of the day in terms of competitiveness. We have Mexico against Poland. I, I think the key thing is that this may be one of, well, if it goes as expected, this might be the deciding factor who gets second out of the teams we predicted. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair to say. I mean, I do think this group actually is the most open one in terms of probably three teams could top the group. Maybe Tunisia could sneak through second, but I think any of the three, Mexico, Poland, Denmark, could realistically win the group. 
I don't think it's like outrageous if any of them does so. Uh, so yeah, I definitely think this will be a very, very important one. I hope that that doesn't mean that it'll be two teams really cautious and sitting off and just trying not to make a mistake. Me- Mexico, like Poland with um, Argentina, Saudi Arabia, just to, just to correct you there. Oh yeah, sorry, it is, yeah. God, you're absolutely right. So, it's early morning, you know, people. Forgive me. It is. I'm only halfway through a tea, so you know, that's, exactly. that's definitely my excuse there. Um, okay, so we'll we'll completely scrub that last sentence I said and suggest that you're right. This is <laughs> the a group, very, the very group, important one. So see group, who goes through behind that. This is a group shit, though. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible now. Forget it. Uh, um, yeah, I guess obviously a lot of people are going to be looking for Lewandowski and him doing the things for Poland. Mexico would normally be starting with um, Jimenez up front, obviously, but he's been out injured for so long. They have been playing Omi Martin as the centre forward. He is probably the best one to look for in terms of goal scoring alternatives, along with the two wingers are Alexis Vega and Chucky Lozano from Napoli, who's been in good form but not starting all the time. So I'm looking forward to how that new front line works together. It's been pretty good in the warm-ups. They also do still play a few of the you know 600-year-olds who have been around for ages, Andres Guardado in midfield, and your favourite goalkeeper on the planet. Woo! No one scoring past him. Lewandowski's never first to keeper that good. Um, but Poland, I mean, you obviously mentioned Lewandowski there. We have, uh, Zielinski's probably the next best player off the top of my head. Is there anyone else to look out for? I mean, Liverpool are due a Polish regen playing for Poland, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a few that we've been linked with, obviously. Um, Zelinski being the main one. Zemanski we were linked with ages and ages ago. Matty Cash, people obviously know from Aston Villa. He'd be one of the wing backs, and I presume Zalewski will play on the other side. Uh, at the back, it's very familiar faces, basically. Szczesny in goal, Kamil Glick, centre-back. Uh, Jan Bednarak probably on one side of him as well. And Swiderski, I think we were linked with ages and ages ago as well, who's the other forward who might start alongside Lewandowski. Um, I don't honestly love the the uh, Turkish, the Polish side, but they do work very, very well together. I think stylistically they have a a pretty good balance. Um, I don't think it's anywhere near too elite other than a couple of obviously standout names there. Uh, The Liverpool connection, I suppose, is obviously Kamal Grabara being called up very late on into that squad uh, after an injury to... Dragovsky. Yeah. Magnificent beard. Hopefully Grabara's still got his eye mask thing on, because, yeah, why not? Makes him unique. Um, I realised I've forgotten predictions. I will do the France game, and then we'll go through the games again for predictions. Um, France, Australia. I mean, obviously, Australia, we just want that goalkeeper playing who was mental. But I think the more interesting thing is how France line up, because I think... Coming into the tournament, we all all had a general idea, but with the injuries to Benzema, Varane's not fully fit, um, other centre-backs got injured and stuff like that. So it'll be interesting to see how they actually set up with the younger centre-backs, whether Teo or Lucas plays, if they think it's more of an attacking approach, the need for the game, etc. So I think it'll be interesting to see how France set up just for the fact that they've had so many injuries in, in many areas. It might be a, a new look defence, a new look midfield, obviously. And Well, it'll be Giroud and Mbappe, obviously. Uh, but, um, yeah, I think that'll be interesting from a France point of view. Yeah, I agree. Um, it looks like they're going to play back four all the way through, just by playing you know, three in defence for most of the Nations League in the last sort of 18 months or so. But 
most of the talk in France is that Ibu Kanate is going to start, which justifies obviously his position as the greatest human being on the planet. Uh, I think that's Absolutely. fair to say. Yeah. Um, I, I think it'll be Lucas as the main starting left back, but against Australia, perhaps Theo starts that one, like you say, if they want to be a bit more aggressive and adventurous and forward thinking and all the rest of it. Um, maybe that's just an in-game change though, and he wants to actually get the settled defence in place first of all, because like you say, Lots of injuries, lots of changes everywhere. It's basically going to be, again, another new midfield, whether they play the diamond or maybe it'll be sort of just a two and then Griezmann behind and then there'll be a third extra somewhere, like Rabio off the left-hand side slightly or something like that. It's There's a lot of um, there's a lot of possibility to be quite fluid and flexible in this France team, regardless of who they pick. Obviously, Mbappe can filter from the left-hand side. All players are two with Giroud. Griezmann does tend to play behind, but Again, they might they might switch things around. I'm assuming Fafana is going to start with Germany in midfield, but it's not their first choice uh, to have Fafana there. It would be, obviously, Kante. It would be, presumably, still Pogba, although he hasn't played football for probably since the last World Cup final or whatever. So very, very difficult to say what his preferred lineup is. Kamara would have been there if he hadn't got injured. So there's a lot for Deschamps to pick through there. Um, I, I would say midfield diamond is probably what I would expect most just because he's played it quite a lot of the time before. Would that have been Kamara above Chuameni or above Fafana? Uh, I think he would have been starting above Fafana and Chuameni still would have been in the side. Chuameni is now kind of an immovable part. Yeah. For them. Um, but it, you know, it could still be Jordan Verrett who gets a bit of game time as well and one or two others in the squad who are Marginally questionable in terms of overall quality relative to the rest of the squad, at least. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see the midfield because obviously two or many hurt Liverpool fans, the prick. Um, but he has obviously announced himself as, well, the next best midfielder coming through, really, with Jude Bellingham, etc. So it'll be interesting to see if he can and, and announce himself probably wrong, but I'll roll with it on, on the biggest stage. Um, so yeah, and again to see people like Fafana as well, who maybe got out of too many shadow now that he's left, obviously because I've haven't seen he's been linked with a few teams, so that'll be interesting. Um, but we will go back to the first game for predictions: Argentina, Saudi Arabia. What are you feeling? I think Messi's going to turn up. I think we're going to get a three uh, 0 here. A nice stat pad. How many for Messi? Just the one, but I think he'd get the other two assists. Beautiful. I kind of, uh, I kind of fa- fancy Lautaro to go on a bit of a group stage spree. Maybe he'd get himself in the running for the Golden Boot and then do nothing in the knockouts. Just Latoura, Martinez and Enna Valencia. I like it. Um, Denmark, Tunisia? <sighs> Flying blind, but I'll go 2-1 to Denmark. Yeah, Wabi Kazri obviously getting the goal for Tunisia. Uh, probably the most... Competitive one, Mexico, Poland. How do you see this one? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, obviously, they all want to top the group ahead of Denmark, Tunisia. Like I said, yes. so, uh, <laughs> I'll go for two-two here. Yeah, I could see that happening. Um, it'll be interesting to see. Cause I don't think Poland's ever turned up to a World Cup, so to have their probably most important game first, mm. you have to rush into it. Um, France, Australia. With apologies to my. Um, down under friends here. I think France are going to absolutely wipe the floor with them. I'm going to go uh, quite hefty 5-0. I think Australia 
mentioned earlier about Saudi Arabia not being the very, very finest of the Asian nations uh, who qualified. Well, Australia got like half the points that I think, um, Saudi Arabia did in qualifying. Just about beat UAE in a qualifier. Only got through on a pens in the intercontinental qualifier. If France anything like turn up, I think they will wallop them, to be honest. Should have been Peru, damn it. The nice kit. That keeper ruined it. Um, but yeah, that is it for today's show. No, no, it's not. Oh, no, it's not. Oh, God, what have I missed? Your predictions. Uh, uh, Argentina 4 0. Um, Denmark 1 0. I can't see that having many goals. I'm going to go Poland. They've got to turn up to one of these bloody tournaments. I'm going to go 2 1 Poland. And France. I think they'll try and outdo England, so let's go 6 0 France. Watch, watch Australia win, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, I think it's, it's a weird one because there's four games, and I think three of them there's clear, clear favourites. So yeah, it might be a bit of a, a boring day. Lots of goals, uh, though. We don't mind that. Absolutely. As long as it's like, at least do good goals, don't do any of these crappy tap ins and stuff. Um, but now it's now now we're finally finished. Uh, anything to plug? You've obviously you were up till four in the morning typing away. Anything to plug? Yes. Yeah, um, it's gonna do one a day. So I think first of all, for, for especially for Harry Welsh, I did a Wales um, review piece or reaction piece, sort of looking at the way they need to approach the last couple of games. Um, how important it is for them to be not just this, you know, very emotionally invested sort of group of people in terms of the fans and the players and the coaching staff and everything that Wales have, which is really good for them. But they need to obviously take things to a little bit of another level as well in terms of their playing style. And I think the second half showed them what they need to be doing. That's on the independent. Title, Kiefer Moore in bold. I like it. Um, <laughs> but that is it from us today. I assume Dave's back tomorrow or whenever the hell we're recording the next one because it's either night time or morning time but obviously Dave with his broken computer and he is uh, getting his knee checked up on. so whenever he's back it'll be him or it might be me, who cares but we'll be back tomorrow thank you everyone for listening, goodbye We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show, please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically there's nothing quite like fan engagement and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show the best way to get in touch is over on our free discord community where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest lfc topics 24 7 sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord you won't regret it you can also follow us on twitter at anfield index and find us on facebook by searching for anfield index Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.